Today, chapter 3 talks to us about, um, you know, um, and, and even before I start my sermon there, I want to um, title my sermon today as Take It or Leave It. Take It or Leave It. A lot of times, as I'm going to use my um, lapel, is that okay? Okay. Take it or leave it. A lot of times, you know, when we are talking to our within work or even within our family situations, we oftentimes, we help them understand what the situation is about. We give them the guidance. We tell them about the things that they are supposed to do and we help them through it. And when they are not following through a lot, you know, sometimes we just say because we are fed up of teaching them, navigating that journey with them, you know what, take it or leave it. You want to follow it, you follow it. I don't have the time and energy to just go back in circles teaching these things again. Chapter 3 is a reminder from Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi about the joy of God. The book of Philippians is all about God's joy. Bible does not promise us happiness. Bible does promise us joy. Bible does not promise us happiness. Your happiness could be through substances. Happiness through be, could be through places, through persons. But Bible does promise us the joy of the Lord uh, uh, is my strength. Bible does promise us joy. True joy oftentimes and is only seen when we deepen our roots in the ecosystem of God's presence. Are you following me? Joy, the fruit of God's spirit, right? We see that when we dive, dive, dive deep into the ecosystem of God's presence. You know, you stay away from God's presence, you cannot enjoy God's joy. But you stay in the presence of God, no matter what circumstances come against you, you will still be joyful in your life. It could be painful experiences. It could be failures, shut doors, closed doors, betrayals, uh, people who walked away from our life. But the more we lean on to the understanding, my life's sustenance is only found in God's presence. The more I allow the roots of my belief system to get deeper into the ecosystem God has positioned me, I am always joyful irrespective of the situation or the people around us. Apostle Paul is in the prison. While he's in the prison, he's imprisoned, he's in chains, he's been beaten up. There are a lot of inmates around him. There are a lot of jail keepers around him. Even in the midst of all of these people, Apostle Paul had a joy that many others did not. That's what the book of Philippians talks to us about. He's challenging, encouraging the, the church. In, November, in uh, October 30th, today, as we gather together in this space, my message to my church is no matter what circumstances you have gone through, you're going through, or you might go through, or you're watching me online, you're unable to be in person because of sickness or because of a bad report, no matter where you are, never lose your joy. If the enemy is afraid of you, there's one thing that the enemy is afraid, and it is the joy of God's presence in your hearts. Are you with me, church? The joy of God's presence. That no matter what the enemy puts on you, you will never lose your joy. I want, I want some Christians around me who can challenge my faith. No matter what the enemy throws at you, but you will never 
forget your joy because you always believe the joy of the Lord is my strength. I could be weak. Situations around me is weakening my belief system, my faith in God. But no matter where I am, the joy of God is my strength. Can you agree with me today? God's joy is what I need in my life. God's joy is what I need in my family, in my work relationship. Wherever God has positioned me, I need the joy of the Lord. So take it or leave it. You want to follow? You follow it or you can leave it. But only those people who can take these scriptures and apply in their life will be benefited of the Christian life God is calling us. Like I reminded early on, God never promises us happiness. He does promise us joy. Joy in God's presence. Christian life will bring struggles in our life, testing us, making us humble, you know, and we need those situations to keep us grounded in the presence of God, that we are not boastful of the things around our accomplishments or our influences, but we are boastful only on one thing, the grace of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Philippians chapter 3 talks to us. Verse 1, let's read it. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He's again reminding the church. It is no trouble for me to write the same things again to you. And it is a safeguard for you. Sometimes when things are repetitive, we don't like it. Why does he have to share the same thing again and again? Why does pastor has to do a sermon series and it's seventh week and he's still talking about joy? Why does we have to, why do we have to do? It's repetitive. The reason why Apostle Paul continues to use the phrase joy, rejoice in God's presence is because when life throws us into those difficult situations, oftentimes we are forgetting the benefits of God, the blessings of God. So in a church setting like where we gather today, as we are learning from God's word, we need to understand, we need to rely on being in the presence for the joy of God, to be satisfied by Him alone. I remind you again, and it is safeguard for you that you must rejoice in the Lord. And I will keep reminding you that is what Apostle Paul is reminding his church. Verse 2. And it's a very strong word here. Listen to verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. I didn't say that. Bible said it. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who are to serve in the conf- God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard of the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I am faultless. When you look out for verse 2 through verse uh, 6, you see how Paul is exhorting the church and letting them know, number one, the first word you see there is, watch out for the dogs. Beware of those people. 
you know, when you go visit some of your friend's house, if they have a dog in their house, they oftentimes put, beware of the dogs. Why? Because there is something that you need to be scared of in that territory. Some dogs are more like rats. You know, you don't have to worry about them. But some dogs are ferocious. <laughs> and, and you got to watch out for those places when you walk in. And they have written it down. Beware of this premises. Beware as you walk in. As parents, when we take our children on excursions or outside, we tell them, hey, watch out for these faces. Watch out for the steps that you're taking because we don't want you to fall and break your bones. We don't want you to wander away. Watch out for this space here. Paul is exhorting the church and he's reminding them to watch out. When do you say to watch out and to be beware? When there are Things around you that can actually derail the plans of God in your life. Right? When there are things around you that probably you can fall down. Then there are obstructions on your way where you have to be careful. And in in our faith today, as Christians, we must be careful to safeguard our faith in God. There are a lot of attractive so-called things all around us. But it is up to us as a Bible-believing child of God to safeguard what God has deposited within each of us. Are you with me, church? My job as, my, as a pastor is to train the church to follow through where we safeguard our, our faith. In a time today, a time today, There are a lot of people who are actually backsliding from the church. A lot of young people who have contemplated their faith, especially after COVID. A lot of people who are challenging the very authority of God's scriptures that they followed through, studied through in Sunday school. They can't understand, they can't wrap their mind around a divine power. They can't wrap their mind around something that is godly teaching in their life. They reason. And there's very good reasons for them to ask questions, but there's no right foundations that has been established. And there's no fine line between what is worldly and what is beneficial for a believing believer. Are you with me? There are a lot of things that people are doing. The mutilators of the flesh, the desires of the flesh that they want to surround themselves with. They want to encroach on those properties because for a time being, all of those are very, look very beneficial. Satisfying my own flesh, desires of my own flesh. And Paul is reminding the church in Philippi that brothers, I want you to know, beware of those dogs because those dogs can come in and already try to question the foundation of your faith. Be careful who you associate with. Be careful who you allow yourself to be surrounded with. Because the more you allow those voices to creep into your head, you begin to derail from the very foundation of God's scriptures. And the best thing that I want us to practice is just go back to the basics of reading God's scriptures. Reading God's scriptures. Because the more you are strong on God's word, 
no matter whosoever puts their lies in you, you will never be defeated. The reason why, and listen to me, a lot of young people in this room, the reason why we are okay to practice a little bit of worldly stuff, a little bit of being there and not have a clear conscious foundation is because you don't have the word of God in you. We must live on his word. Let that become the foundation of our life. Pastor Paul is reminding the church, brothers, I want you to know that during this time, when you don't have any elders with you, when you don't have, I'm not with you, there might be these evil people who can bring in their logics and their concepts and their understanding of who God is to you and you fall in the trap of what the enemy is bringing in your life. So my my message to my church today is, be careful who you associate with. Be careful in your friendships. Be careful in your associations. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful of what kind of noises, voices you feed on constantly. Because you tend to become what you listen to. Praise the Lord. Are you with me, church? We oftentimes become what we listen to. We are allowing the enemy to speak his lies over our life. At first it looks good. At first it sounds good. At first it's all wonderful. I love their company. I love how beautiful that environment is. I love how peaceful, how joyful, how celebratory these environments may look like. Brothers and sisters, not too long will you survive in that environment. Because there is a fine line between being a child of God and the ones that are mutilators of the flesh. The ones that are doing just to satisfy the fleshly desires. Apostle Paul reminds the church and exhorts the church. Number two, verse two, it says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those people. You know, in your personal meditation or a journal, I just want you all to just pinpoint what do you think those dogs are in your life? What do you think those evildoers are in your personal life? You know, we have to apply the scriptures onto our personal life. There's no point in me preaching a three-point message where it becomes pointless towards the end. I want us to apply the scripture over to our life. That we see what is or what are those dogs in our life that are derailing us from a God-given task to become the sons and daughters of God. Christ paid his precious blood to liberate us. It will be a mockery unto what Christ has done when we return back to the filthy rags. He's paid his precious price because he loves us. Verse 4 talks to us about how Paul is exhorting the church and letting them know, if there is one thing that you all can be boastful about, it's not on your work, influences, or what you have done to achieve the so-called salvation. It talks about the work-based salvation. But Paul exhausts the church, exhausts the church to let them know, brothers, I wanted to know that if it was to be boastful about the things that you all have done, I have done better than you. 
I am circumcised like a Jew on the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a scribe. I have sat down on the feet of Gamaliel and I've read through the scriptures. I know the scriptures in and out. I'm a zealot for the Jewish people because I was murdering the Christians. That's the life of Paul. I have done all of these things. But I am not boastful on all any of this. I am boastful on one thing. The grace of Jesus Christ. So as a New Testament church, our goal in life is that we are boastful about the grace of God. Even when I couldn't make it, His grace showed His love over more my life. Even when I was sinful, He just came down and poured His only life. God says, for God shall love the world that He gave away His begotten Son. He gave away even when I was not worthy of it. Apostle Paul reminds the church, brothers, don't be boastful about the things that you have done. Some people think because I get to do a lot of things, that gives me brownie points in heaven. I do something here, I do something in the next hour, I do something in the evening, I continue to do things. Because you have done so many things, does mean nothing to God. It's not in the things that we are doing. But leaning on to the understanding where we are just boastful on the grace of God. That's the word of Paul. Just boastful. God, I thank you. And that's why when, I, when we gather here to worship, right? When we gather here to worship, what does our words of worship look like? What does the words of worship look like? God, I am thankful. I couldn't have made it, but it is the grace of yours. I'm being boastful about what God has done in my life, not what I have done. I can stand here to testify, you know what, I'm a busy man. Saturday night, I was doing that for God. Sunday morning, I was doing this. Sunday evening, I'm doing that. During the week, I'm doing so many things. Yes, you're doing wonderful, great. I applaud you. But when heaven looks down on you, no, I must boast on one thing. The grace of God has given me the strength to stand where I am. The grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, knowledge of knowing Christ as my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The cry and the desire of a man here in the scriptures that we see is that I just have one desire. I want to know God more. I want to know Jesus more. Take every accolade that the world has given me away and give me Jesus. Give me Jesus is the cry of Apostle Paul when he writes the letter to Philippi. Why? Because everything else is just filthy rags when it is compared to the grace of our Heavenly Father. All positions and possessions and accolades and applause that I probably have received in my life. Everything is a filthy rags when I compare to the grace of our Heavenly Father. The grace of our Heavenly Father. Apostle Paul, 
a man of many accomplishments in his life, reminds the church, reminds that verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. Brothers, I want to know Christ more deeply in my life. I am though filled and placed in a painful position, but still my heart's desire is to know Christ. To know Christ. To know Christ. How many first in this room would say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Not because my parents know you. Not because my uncle knows you. Not because, not because my church knows you. Not because I was born and raised in a Christian home that taught me uh, about scriptures and stories. But I want to just know you personally in my life. Apostle Paul is in the dungeon, in the prison, all by himself. But the desire of his heart is to know God. I want to know Christ. I want to know his presence. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now here's a very theological understanding of God's scriptures, becoming more like Christ in his death. Christ emptied himself out on the cross. He's the son of God, all powerful, all knowledgeable, but still emptied it out, emptied out his position in God the Father and remained hung on the cross like an ordinary person. I want to know Christ in his sufferings. In the midst of God's Christ's painful experiences, he never dejected the plan of God. I want to know Christ in the participation in his and participation in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. In other words, when you look at the, the, the scriptures, verse 8 to 11, it's a whole, the snapshot of a whole gospel message from chapter 8 to verse, sorry, verse 8 to verse 11. Snapshot of the whole gospel. Why do I say this? Because verse 8 begins with the knowledge of God. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. How does salvation work in your life when you know who God is in your life? When you come to the reality and the understanding that I was a sinner and now I can be found only in Christ Jesus. When I come to the understanding that my sinful life practices can come to an end only in the grace of our Heavenly Father. Number one, the knowledge, the excellence of knowledge of Christ Jesus, verse 8. Number two, my position. That I was a sinner, but I am found alive and hopeful in Christ Jesus. How does salvation work in our life? We read or we hear a scripture or God works in our life and we come to the understanding that I was a sinner and God says that, hey brother, you are, you wear what you wear, but your past is not limited to where you are at right now because my grace can surpass everything that you have been indulged in. My grace gives you access to the position that you can be in Christ Jesus. 
I was a sinner, but not any longer because my position changes when I come in Christ Jesus. I become son and daughter. I'm no longer called as a slave to sin. Number three is righteousness. The position of salvation brings out the position of righteousness in our life. What does it mean? That I no longer become righteous by my own work and merits, but I become righteous by the grace of God. The robes of righteousness have been put on my life. The shame and the guilt of my past life is now covered up by the robes of righteousness, the act of surrender in the presence of God, the work of salvation in through the scriptures of 8 to 11 when you read and meditate. Number four is the aspect of fellowship. How does salvation work? It works through fellowship. Why did God institute the body of Christ, a church to gather together? Because you could not do life all by yourself. The work of salvation is matured by the body of Christ gathering together. The fellowship. Number one, our fellowship is with God, with Jesus. Number two, our fellowship is with the body of Christ where God has positioned us. Verse 10. Number five, the fifth thing in through the scriptures, verses 8 and 11. The fifth thing, the snapshot of gospel. The fifth thing is the glory of God, which is the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters seated in this room, gather in this space today, we all believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back again. Do you believe that with me? Christ Jesus is going to come back again. If he has come 2,000 years ago, fulfilling all the promises that was talked and shared about him in the Old Testament, Jesus will be coming back to fulfill all other promises that he's going to come back a second time. That's where Paul is addressing the church. I want you to know the glory of God in the resurrection that we share with Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He was in the grave. But on the third day, he rose up again. You and me, we will die. We have died to our sins. We will die physically. But on the return the return of our Savior, the return of our Lord, we will rise up back again. Why? Because that's the glory of the resurrection in Christ Jesus. You and me, we are called to be a glorious church. What does it mean? The glorious church is a church that reigns in glory with the Lord Almighty. Not in sinful lifestyles, but in glory of God. That no matter where I am right now, I have died to my sinful practices and ways. But I will rise up once again because that's the glory of God's resurrection in my life. You will have a resurrected body. To be with the Lord and Savior in a place where there's no sin, no sickness, no pain. To have a resurrected body is the hope of a glorious church in Christ Jesus. 
that I lived a life of sinfulness and thoughts, being in the midst of mutilators of the flesh. But today I come to the understanding that in Christ Jesus, I have a new hope. I have a new life. I am no longer what I used to be. That address has changed. I am no longer served at that address anymore. My location has changed because my position has changed in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Paul exhausts the church. The reason why sometimes and in our life, we need to hear these messages again and again is because we get into the norm of God is all blessing. Yes, he is, but he does punish too. There's a fine line between being worldly and what is of the world and what is as a child of God. Anybody who's born again, baptized, redeemed, and has the ropes of righteousness of God, you are the son and daughter of God. You have nothing to do with the dark world. You have nothing to do in the world that is filled with darkness. The only thing you can do is be the light of his gospel. Be the light that radiates the glory of God in the dark world. Apostle Paul, though he's in the dungeon, but he sheds the light of God's glory and his hope into the life of every individual that has read through the scriptures, through the book of Philippi. It's been 2,000 years and more years to come by until the Lord comes back. But this word will stand strong, alive, and loud and clear to every single one. Brothers and sisters, we don't mingle around things. And we are beware, we must be beware of these dogs that are mutilators of the flesh. A fine line as a child of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. The desire to know Christ. The desire to know who Jesus is. More closely, I want to come towards him. See, when you stand at a distance and you try to look out an object, your vision is blurred. Uh, not a, it, it's not clear. It's, those things may not be clear. But it becomes more clearer as you go closer to those things. As you go closer to the picture or the image or the object that you are gazing at. Christ becomes more clear the more we come closer to Him. The more we long for Him. The more we desire to walk in the footsteps of God. Paul's decision was, I need to know who this God is. I want to know Christ in my, in my life. You know, verse 15 onwards, sorry, verse 13, it says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward for what is ahead of me. If you've ever gone on hiking, and I remember going on a hiking many years ago, when I was going on a hiking, you know, you have a goal, you have to reach the top, and you can't actually take everything. A friend of mine packed up everything you can think of to go to the top. You can't. You had to get rid of things that 
it's not counter worthy enough for you to take up the Lord up there because as you go against the force of gravity, going against the pull of gravity, to go up against, that's the decision you're making because every single step that you keep to go up, the force, the pull of gravity becomes even more stronger. That's how the clutches of the enemy is, the practices of the world is. The more you decide to walk closely to him, the enemy will keep pulling you back. But brothers and sisters, leaving everything behind, I strain to move forward in my position that I share with Christ Jesus. I strain to move forward. Well, the enemy doesn't like you going forward. He likes you where you are right now. He's happy. You are happy. Everything is good. But does that help you as a child of God? No. Praise the Lord. What are we doing for that? I want to know Christ. My message today to my church is let that be the foundation of our, our faith today. Our, the crux of our message today that I take home. I want to know Christ. But what are the things you're going to do? Sometimes you know, people come and ask me, Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer for that. I need prayer for this. Yes, we are here to pray for you. I would love to pray for. We are praying for but there's a fine line between you being a child of God and living a life of worldly pleasures. You can't survive on two boats, two ships. Pick one. Let Christ be the rock of ages, the foundation of our spiritual life. Let Him alone I have to exhort my church, though this is not the normal way of me speaking. I'm teaching my church that we have a life founded in Christ Jesus. There's a fine line between what is worldly and who you are and whose you are. Apostle Paul reminds the church, brothers, I consider myself, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of the thing that I have done. Sometimes, you know, when we get to do more accomplishments, accolades, it gets, gets into our head. The applause, it just gets into our head. And we just walk around with so much pride, thinking of all the things that I have done, the churches I have planted, the people being baptized, and the ministry can become a place of pride. Worship ministry can become a place of pride. The service that we do can become a place of pride. I do not take hold of any of these things. I am not prideful, no boastful in any of these things. I leave them behind. Anything that can hold me captive. I leave them behind, pressed towards the goal to win the prize that God has called me. I have a destiny and I have a place to be at. I cannot be around those people who does not have a goal in their life. Are you with me, church? Don't linger around people who don't have a goal in their life. 
who don't have a place to be at in their life. Because the more you associate with them, sooner or later, you will be found in that place even after two years. But if you make a decision in your life, like I want to grow in Christ. I want to grow in my spirituality. I want to grow as a child of God. Then you make a bold decision. Get rid of those people who are not helping you to grow in the faith that God has brought you with. Things that are not helpful, purge them out of your life. Be bold enough to say no to what needs no in your life. Praise the Lord. Not everything is beneficial for a Christian life that God has positioned us. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal. I have a goal in my life. A goal in my life. My eyes are fixed on the cross of Calvary. My eyes are fixed on eternity, even my Savior. And I want to be transformed to find my hope and my refuge in Him who has saved me. The hope of God, the hope of Christ. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I have the worship team behind me? Verse 15 onwards, when you meditate through, you would see verse 15 onwards. You know, you can read verse 15 onwards, but uh, let me just read uh, verse 18. Verse 18 says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many lives, enemies on the, on the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Listen to this very carefully. Those people that can distract you from the purpose of God's destiny in your life. All of those people, their mind is set on earthly things. Earthly accolades and positions and possessions and wealth and things that you name off. Fun life for a moment with them. Their eyesight is dwelled on earthly things. But I pray... That we will have a challenge to church and families that can look beyond things that are natural and carnal and that satisfies the flesh, but look upward into Christ Jesus. But our citizenship is heaven. I love that scripture. Our citizenship is, is heaven. A lot of us in this room, we are citizens here in this nation. We are citizens in another nation. There are people here in this room. We, are, we have dual citizenships, working for our citizenship. All that is good. But never forget the fact. You're the citizen of heaven. You're heaven's citizen. You're heaven's citizen. That comes first and priority than being an Indian citizen or a Pakistani citizen or an American citizen or a Canadian citizen or whatever country we belong and we claim to. I'm a citizen of heaven. But let that be the confidence within you. If you're a citizen of a nation, you live according to the constitution 
provided in that nation. Oh, this is the land of the free, but still, you got rules here. You live according to the constitution placed because you are claiming to be the citizen. You abide by the law. You know what a lot of people, and as I'm teaching my church, listen to this. A lot of people would say, you know what, laws, regulations were only in the Old Testament. It's not applicable in the New Testament. But there are concepts of God's scriptures that you see through the New Testament that is applicable to you as a child of God. The conducts of life, the tenets of your faith, the foundation that God has established you with. I pray that we will come out of a generation that has masks in every place. Sunday mornings, I'm a Christian. Monday to Saturday, I'm not living my life wild. I can be wherever I want to be. Brothers and sisters, I have to do justice to the calling place in my life. To increase the body of Christ. Come back to the basics. Paul says, Paul says, I want to know Christ more. The desire of him knowing Christ more makes him realize, you know what? I cannot focus myself on earthly things. My goal is somewhere else. My eyes are transfixed to a place where God has promised, promised me. I'm a citizen of heaven. Verse 21, let's stand up in God's presence. We'll pray a prayer of dedication right after this. A prayer of surrender and a prayer of dedication right after reading of the scripture. Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Brothers and sisters, listening to me, the scripture is a reminder of the days to come when I become in Christ Jesus. Run from sin. What is sin? People ask me all the time, what is sin? People say, you know, I don't lie, so I'm not sinning. I have not murdered, so I'm not sinning. Sin is anything that takes you away from the presence of God. Anything a state of mind where you don't know who you are, a state of mind when you are not sober, a state of mind when you don't understand who is around you, that has already taken you away from the presence of the people and the presence of God that He has surrounded you. You are living in a sinful life. Sin is not just lying or murder or stealing, accusing somebody. Sin is anything that takes you away from the heart of the Father. Sin is anything that draws you out, chases you away from where the Father's house is. The story of the prodigal son. 
he went to a distant land that distant land was sinful in his life why because he chose to walk away from his father's house you could be seated right here but you are sinful you could be in this place right here but you find yourself in a distant land brothers and sisters listening to my message today the call of our message is to come back to the glorious redemption that is found only in Christ Jesus only found in Christ in Christ Jesus I pray that a generation will awaken I pray that a generation will stand up I pray that a community of believers will rise up here who can say no to the world and can say yes Jesus I want to know you more I want to know you more you know when you accept the Lord as your personal savior when you accept the Lord as your personal savior you know what happens you know what happens Paul can you come here when you accept the Lord as your personal savior in your life come here when you accept the Lord as your personal savior in your life you know do you fill with filthy rags sinful thoughts sinful desires lived in sinful lifestyle but when the grace of God has come to your life you become a new person in Christ Jesus through water baptism when you go under the water and come back you are alive in Christ Jesus it simply means I do not live for my sinful practices no more but I live for Christ Jesus I'm a new creation in Christ what happens with that old is gone and the new has come he puts on the ropes of righteousness over your life your sinful world is sin or seen no more God covers you with the robes of righteousness every person seated here standing right here under my voice listening to me brothers and sisters we had a past but you don't have to live in your past no more I am new in Christ Jesus he has put the robes of righteousness on my life. The sinful address has changed. My costume has changed. <laughs> my costume has changed. My message to the practices of Halloween is my costume has changed. I have the robes of righteousness over my life. I have the robes, the garment of praise on my lips. I have the robes of righteousness that God has put on me. That's my costume that I want to declare to the world. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. You must have the boldness to declare that. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I can't be like what the world is. I am different. I will continue to be different. There's a distinction between light and darkness. Light does not become like the darkness. It just shines in the dark world. You're called to be different. You have the robes of righteousness over yourself today. Let's look to the Lord. 
in prayer. You look good in this jacket. Let's do the look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the grace of God in this room. We are called by you. We are accepted by you. We are found by you. Help us, O oh Lord, that we live a life worthy of the calling and you are placed over our life. Thank you for the grace of yours. Thank you that you have allowed us to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen.